Welcome, children, to another episode of the Apartment Library, special science fiction edition with the best sci-fi novel. At least that's what the novel says it is. At least that's what the cover says it is. Does it actually say this is the best sci-fi ever? <laughs> literally. Like, that's literally what it says. No, I'm kidding. This is science fiction supreme masterpiece. Wow. We're obviously talking about Frank Herbert's... Did I just say Herbert? <laughs> Is it, do you actually, is it Herbert? Herbert. Is that how it is, I guess? It was not her-bert, but yeah, Herbert. Frank Herbert's Dune. Dune. Published in 1965. That's right, baby. It's old as fuck. And that's one of the things that we should definitely discuss today. But super quick for the uninitiated, give us a little synopsis. This book happens in the far, far future. I think it's like the year 10,000 and something. And there's this feudal system of controllers of each planet. And so this is a story about Paul Atreides and his family and their destiny Perfect. On, on this planet called Arrakis. Awesome. So if you haven't read this book, what the fuck are you doing? But <laughs> this is your spoiler warning. So go read the book. Come back here. Or listen to any of the other hundreds of thousands of episodes of podcasts and YouTube videos and shitty movies and hopefully excellent movie coming out soon. Do whatever you want to do. But from now on, it's spoiler territory. Yep. Where so, the fuck do we start? I oh know, my god. This is such a grand <laughs> scale of a story. Alright, so I guess that's a pretty good point to start. When I was saying that it's old, it's from 65. Not as old as the golden era of science fiction. Which is when? The 50s, I think, with like Asimov and Ray Bradbury, mm -hmm. Robert Heinlein. Is that when sci-fi really started to take off as a... Yeah, you, you can definitely pin other novels that are way, way, way earlier. Like War of the Worlds is from like 1903 or 05. Mm -hmm. so, so like 50 years before mm -hmm. then. I mean, it's not, it's uh, other than the Martians in that novel, it's not, it's not really science fiction. Mm -hmm. So like in the fifties is really when you had like the golden age, the golden era, the masters of sci-fi. That's when they, they came out and a lot of those novels suck. I've read, <laughs> I've read a few of those and that's kind of why I wanted to like mention that now because Dune was good. Oh, it was awesome. I actually like really enjoyed it. I thought it was going to be hokey given that it was older, but like, I mean, two, three pages in, I was like, okay, this is not that bad. Like other novels I've enjoyed that were like more classic sci-fi, like The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. And I really enjoy that for concept, but my God, the fucking date, it's really visible in that book. Mm. Like it, like the sexism, it's so palpable. <laughs> In that fucking book, it's hilarious. Wow. The, the concept, the ideas behind it, like, it was so full of great ideas. Something that, like, you could make a movie about it nowadays. Like, t literally take the IP, change the name. Take out the sexism. Yeah, yeah, like, vet it for today yeah. and release it. And it would be, like, an awesome sci-fi novel of today. Mm -hmm. but, but, yeah, Dune was, it didn't feel dated. Not that I've read no. much old sci-fi and as you know sci-fi is not my favorite genre so I was skeptical of reading this book I wanted to read it because there's an awesome movie coming out soon and just because this is the sci-fi book that you constantly hear about yeah. and I loved it 
there's some you know nitpicky things that we'll talk about, mm-hmm. but I thought it was a great book. Yeah, and same. So I probably yeah, I got a stamp of nine out of ten there. Like it felt a little slow in some spots, but I, I think that's my criticism of literally every book that we've covered in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's no. always easy to find little things yeah. here. And his book is his book. This book is book. No, this book is big. Like it was, you know, like carrying it around. I felt safe. Like if somebody jumped me, I could like hit them with a book, and like it's a brick. Yeah, right? it's massive. Yeah, but uh, it read quickly. Yeah, no, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't feel its length. Yeah, and there's so much that I enjoyed about it. Uh, like so many aspects. A few in particular that I really want to cover. A couple of characters yeah. that I really liked. Uh-huh. The story in general, it did feel like it had like that um, Marvel movie or fuck every movie nowadays that like it's so obviously setting up a franchise it had a little bit that i felt in some ways because like there's so many things that if you don't have the glossary at the end of the book which i looked at through and a lot of people were like no you're not supposed to do that i didn't even know there was a glossary until i was done the book (laughs) (laughs) and i have to say i i was able to figure out the meaning of things or at least yeah. by context obviously yeah. I, I didn't who feel, the fuck is this muadib dude well, yeah I, I didn't feel lost without the glossary but if i knew it was there i probably would have used it yeah yeah no i i looked at i skipped a few things like i think it actually has a like a spoiler warning in some of the elements okay. of it yeah no it pretty much says like i mean this is kind of like for those who are enjoying the book for a second time uh-huh. or for study of the novel but Kind of like the the worms were like the big thing that I knew about the book. That mm-hmm. was just like, to me, that's the book with the worms. That's all I knew about Dune. And I skipped that in the glossary. But there's other things that like, if it weren't for the glossary, and even after reading the definition, I had no fucking idea what they were talking about with the, uh, a, a certain, like the Chome. Yeah, the Chome company. The Chome or... company. Yeah. And a couple other things. Like there's like, it, it's very much like, like a family feudal state type of thing, very Game of Thrones y. Yeah. In that, like, we are with the good family and the enemies are the bad family. And there's another couple of douchebag families along the way. But largely, they don't really matter. Like, I mean, it's literally like House of Trades, main characters, good guys. Harkonnen. House Harkonnen bad guys. Really, yeah. like, cartoonishly evil bad guys. Yeah. That, that's like one of the weak points in the book i like the the character as much as you can like that character of uh baron harkonnen because obviously he's like this monster rapist pedophile horrible criminal bad guy almost mustache twirling evil can evil bad guy yeah but as a character i believed them you know like i thought it was uh, yeah, I, I, th- I thought he was well fleshed out and well rounded as a character. Yeah, I always liked those chapters where it flipped back to him because the book kind of uh, goes back and forth. Splits then. between yeah Paul's storyline yeah. and the Baron's and maybe someone else's at some point. I can't remember how many point of views the book covers. Well, you fo- yeah you follow like Thufir. Yeah. For a certain period of yeah, time. Yeah, true. So I, I always liked when I flipped back to the Baron for a little bit. Yeah. It was cool to see his point of view. Mm-hmm. So like that that like feudal rivalry, it kind of put me off a little bit. And that ha- that happens often to me when I read books that like are going to require some suspension of disbelief for me because I really don't like fantasy all that much. And this book 
has fantasy. Yeah, it falls cl- very close to the science fantasy category mm-hmm. because it does have that. It's, it's kind of like Star Wars. People are like, Star Wars is science fiction. It fucking isn't. It's fantasy. There's the four, it's magic. Yeah, and this definitely had fantasy because, yeah, Paul was able to see into the future and there's elements of... By magic, yeah. you know? Like there's some kind of, like you, you can kind of get around that by saying like it's been millions of years of evolution and like they've been... And the spice. Eating the spice, yeah. which is awesome. It's like the best cocaine that there's ever been. And like that triggered all this ability. But like it was kind of innate. Yeah. And the Ben and Gesser, they have that breeding program essentially. Yeah. Am I using the right term? Yes. No, was I think it? they literally use that in the book. Yeah, it's the breeding program. For a second, I said that, that. That sounds really weird. But in that they're looking for the Kwisatz Haderach. They're trying yeah. to make him essentially. Yeah. And. It is kind of like that. However, I didn't mind it in this book. I didn't have to like, you know, like plug my nose while I was reading those parts because usually like that sort of thing like really turns me off of a science fiction novel when when suddenly there's fucking magic, even if it's like technology-based, unexplainable level of advanced technology. Mm -hmm. In this case, I thought it was... Everything worked together. Yeah, it was very well incorporated yeah. to the novel. That's Nothing right. felt like out of place, over the top, weird. Yeah. Because, yeah, the way he crafted it was this really complex world with these really mysterious, sometimes, elements of that world, like the Bene Gesserit. It's hard to know, like, what is their... Okay, yeah, their goal is to eventually create this Kwisatz Haderach being, but why? Like, their, their motivations were kind of mysterious. To me. Absolutely. But I like that part of, like, they're this really powerful, but relatively, like, unknown what their goals are sort of group. Yeah. So I I liked that kind of mystery (laughs) element. and. So that kind of leaves behind, like, some of the things I didn't like about the book. I can't, I mean, I obviously, I can just, like, sit here and try to find things to complain about, but... Moving on to like, I mean, unless there's something else that you'd like um, to point out that you didn't like. Well, just I think there's a lot of I've read that this book really like it, a lot of things are are further explained in the following books. Mm-hmm. So I felt that there were some some elements of the story, like the whole jihad thing that Paul saw was happening, going to happen in the future, and he was trying to avoid it, but there's no way to avoid it. Like, what is this jihad? Like, why? So I think all of that stuff apparently is explored in further books. Because that's one thing I found in this book. It kept referencing, yeah, this jihad, this race war that's going to happen. But I wasn't really clear why this was going to happen, what triggers it. So I felt a bit confused with that. And just the whole, like, Paul knew what he wanted to accomplish and his goals. And it made me wonder just why I guess he wants, everyone wants to rule the world, I guess. But what, what is his true motivation for wanting to become emperor and all that stuff? So I think those apparently get explored further in, in following books. Yeah, interesting. I thought that like it had to do, I mean, the way that I perceive it was around the uh, ambivalence that Paul feels when confronted with this fact that he is seeing the future or the potential futures, variations of what's going to come and he's kind of like fuck i have no choice in this this is going to happen and or at first i think he tells himself if i play my cards really well i can prevent all this carnage 
Mm-hmm. And then eventually he kind of realizes that, like, no, the fact that I am doing everything that I am doing, like, I have no control over this. He can kind of see the future, but it only serves him as a pretty good advantage against his enemies. Yeah. And obviously he will eventually become the emperor and whatnot. But, ooh, spoiler. But it, it's not kind of like he can prevent the jihad because he definitely wants to. He says yeah. it multiple times leading up to the point at which he definitely understands that he can't prevent it, that it's going to happen. And eventually he further understands that he is essentially costed. He is the leader of the Freeman at that point. Yeah, I guess that that's one point of confusion for me is the whole jihad thing. Mm -hmm. Like why? I just, I didn't understand anything about it essentially. Like why was it this thing that was going to happen and what triggers it? So I think, Maybe I missed it. Maybe they explained that or alluded to it somewhere in the book. Mm-hmm. I just don't remember. So I think I remember that being like a kind of a point of confusion for me whenever I got brought up is I just wondered why, what, to, well, to what end? Like, what is this jihad thing? Yeah, why why is... are there Muslims in this book? This is really strange. <laughs> but yeah, I think if we read the following books, I'm hoping it'll be explained a bit further. If you want a little extra sauciness, did you notice that like they're not going to call it jihad in the movie and they oh. actually changed it to crusade? Oh, really? Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess the word jihad has such a charged meaning these days. Yeah, so. very, very deep connotation there yeah. that they probably don't want to dabble in. So, uh, yeah, I understand that choice. But I guess, yeah, that was, if I had to pick, you know, any negative points of the book, it's just that. I felt that those concepts that were brought up pretty frequently, I didn't really understand the significance of it or what it meant, really. So, again, that could just be my failing. Maybe I, maybe I just didn't retain mm. if they explain it somewhere in the book. No, or th- maybe it will be explained later in the story. I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I, think, that's, that's, I think that's the key. That's, that's yeah. you know, like this is Dune part one, yeah. essentially, right? Yeah. Like the entire six-part saga is the story. Yeah. Like... Although you can read this book and finish this book and we haven't read any further into the series mm-hmm. and I feel very satisfied. Me too. Th- this book left me really satisfied. <laughs> like, I enjoyed the shit out of it and I actually felt like it was a lot of content. Enough that I I usually don't like series. I don't want to like marry myself to like a four, five, six part series mm-hmm. because there's a lot of reading and there's so many other great books that I want to read out there that I feel like it's, you know, so like I've read a lot of first parts to multiple part series and I just haven't read the sequels and I intend to, I want mm-hmm. to, it just like, I, that's not how I operate. And like, I mean, crucify me if you will, but that's kind of the thing. I do want to read further into this series, but I think that like your criticism in that regard is valid because it's kind of like incomplete. Yeah. And that goes without saying in a way, you know, like maybe the listener is like banging his head and kind of going like, well, duh, obviously, like the like the book is it's just the first book. Yeah, this is the and first I don't, part. I don't, I'm not trying to criticize the author. Like, I yeah, I understand that this is the, literally the first book of a pretty long series. Yeah. So maybe the criticism is the wrong word for it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I was a bit unsure about that whole part of the story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sometimes I kind of didn't really get people's motivations necessarily like why is the emperor so against a house atreides yeah why is he conspiring i guess because eventually house atreides probably wants to become the emperor so i guess there was that yeah i didn't notice that while reading it however i did read later that like the padisha emperor sees 
Leto Atreides and the Atreides or House Atreides as a potential threat. Exactly, to his emperor. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, okay, I guess yeah, that makes sense why they why they're against, you know, a potential future threat yeah. to their throne. And like you said, I guess the Harkonnens, they were kind of just this stereotypical evil group that was evil. just evil, you know, for evil's sake. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess that's a little that's nitpick, a if you want to call it. But do you want to talk about what we really liked about the book? Unless you have anything else you wanted to say about... No, I think that leaves behind what I didn't like. The rest is all rock and roll, man. Yeah, baby. Fuck, it was good. Mm -hmm. uh, a few things that really jump out at me, even after, uh, full disclosure, read it a few months ago in preparation for mm -hmm. the movie that has yet to come out in Canada. Mm -hmm. It's coming out soon, though, just yeah. over a month. And then we decided we'd do it for the podcast, so I didn't really read it again, but I've, you know, kind of brushed up on it and been thinking about it a lot, and, like, the things that I really enjoyed and that I really looked forward to reading that I knew before and that stuck with me after having finished it. The character of Liet Kynes, in my head it was always Kynes, mm -hmm. but it was revealed that he was, you know, to the Freeman he was Liet, and he is Shani's dad. In the novel, I think, I'm sorry, in the movie it's going to be a, a lady, actually, so they uh, mm -hmm. bamboozled us with that. <laughs> but... That character, for some reason, it sticks with me as one of the more like memorable characters, even though he's not that much in the book. I was actually really surprised when he dies, like yeah. fairly early on. In my head, like the first section of the book, before the plot against the family ends in that kidnapping and the uh, attempted assassination, to me, that's kind of like the first chapter, and like I felt it was kind of like. Of like the first quarter of the book, but in reality, it's like more than half of the page count. Yeah, and I actually, my favorite part of the book was the beginning. No shit. Was like that first, up until when Leto gets assassinated or whatever, up until, like that was my probably most memorable part of the book to me. Really cool. Yeah, I liked that the most. Once they got with the whole Fremen slash Freeman, we call them Freeman because it just sounds better than Fremen. The Freeman. Yeah, that whole part of the book, to me, is less... I enjoyed it a bit less. Funny. There's so. a few parts in that, because it is very long, and towards the end it starts getting like pretty... I don't want to say convoluted, but a bit confusing. And it jumps around a fair bit, because the, novel, like the, the plot gets more complex, and then eventually you get introduced to like even more antagonists, such as Raban, the Beast, or Fade Rautha, eventually he's kind of like the hands-on enemy. But once Leto dies and they are forced to flee, I mean, they they try to kill everyone, but like Paul and Jessica flee into the desert. That's when the book really started for me. Mm -hmm. However, there's a, a part that I had seen in the trailer and crucify me again for this, but I saw the trailer, the very first trailer for the most recent Dune adaptation before reading the book. Mm -hmm. So I looked at that and I was like, wow, this looks pretty cool. Yeah. I had intentions to read the book, but I was like, wow. And I saw this scene that I couldn't make sense of, that it's just this building collapsing into the sand, and they're looking at it from a helicopter. It looked fucking cool, but I didn't know what I was looking at. And I told a friend at work who read the book, and I said, like, oh, yeah, that's a 
worm that you're mm-hmm. looking at. That was a worm, the enormous mouth, gigantic mouth of a worm wow. swallowing a harvester. That's crazy. And that's a really cool scene in the book. I'm just thinking about it and I'm getting like goosebumps yeah. going through me. And it's like so sick. Scary. And that's one of the parts that I really enjoyed in the book when they're like in the ornithopters going to the harvesting operation because they, I think they're having some issues. They need extraction or something. And they describe that scene in the book. And it was, fuck, it's so it good. It was crazy. And it was a cool scene because, yeah, it showed how the Duke, he cared for the workers on the harvester like he he yeah, he's coordinated this whole rescue plan for them mm-hmm. and he didn't want to leave anyone behind so and he sacrificed the harvester with all the spies in it even yeah. the people who like the, he just rescued first i think some of the first guys who got mm-hmm. on the ornithopter they were like oh my god we're gonna lose all the stuff you know like and that's mm-hmm. like i don't know how much money in there because it's is the most valued sub the highest valued substance in the universe right yeah the spice another thing that i really enjoyed Thinking about in retrospect, not so much. I think I didn't really like isolated as I was reading it. It didn't stand out as something that I was enjoying in particular while Mm. I was reading it is the level at which this novel tackled ecology, like the ecosystem of of Arrakis. And it's something that I usually enjoy in science fiction novels that I read that are that is, I love planetary science in general, and I love that when, like, a book really, like, describes, yeah, even if it's not a science fiction novel, science fiction is really cool, because you can do, like, well, aliens, an alien world, an alien fauna and flora, and something amazing, but this book is older, and, like, when I think about, like, all the other books that I've read that came before this in the genre, none had done that, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and that was a cool aspect of the book, is how one of the goals of kinds was to transform the planet from this desert hell to this nice lush green planet with water and he essentially wanted to revamp the whole ecosystem yeah which like terraforming yeah and that's weird because it's it's like why are you destroying i mean why are you why do you want to destroy the natural habitat of this planet like humans, well i mean humans came here from earth thousands maybe mm-hmm. years ago but why not just let the you know let the planet be it's do its thing and... well i think that like that that's like the revolutionary aspect of the novel in, in that like those people are living in hell right like the planet is tremendously difficult to live on that's why they wear those disgusting still suits yeah (laughs) they're a really cool idea i love the idea when it was being described i'm like that's so amazing and i think i was like man like you're that's just disgusting like yeah (laughs) it's just like drinking recycling your body's moisture is like that's so gross gross. but it's such a good idea it's such a crazy good idea the fact that like they do everything to cycle and recycle everything and reuse everything and that like they because it's so hot and dry on that planet that it's impossible to live in the fact that like these people the freemen they've survived and to an extent thrived on arrakis is a miracle exactly so like in in a way that's that's the other ambition that like humans can have on i guess is the other end of the spectrum because the in a way you could say this is like a parable on like capitalism versus Mm -hmm. socialism in a way you know like the big wigs the big cheese they are trying to extract 
as much wealth out of Iraq as the spice mm-hmm. and at the expense of its people. And a lot of them live in what you could describe as abject poverty. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have these people who want to terraform the planet into a livable, beautiful, lush home for them because it is their home planet. They've mm-hmm. been there for generations and generations and generations and they love it. Yeah. They, they live for it. However, it is, uh, I guess like, it doesn't go that deep into it. And that's why I made the point of like prefacing this by saying other novels don't really stand out nowadays for doing that because there's been a billion sci-fi novels since. And it's unique for its time, just not now. However, I, I do think that I appreciate that about it. The fact that it's so complex and that added to my enjoyment and to the fact that it didn't feel dated. While I was reading it, it's like this could have come out yesterday yeah exactly and i guess yeah i just i see the whole terraforming is just another instance of humans you know ruining planets for our own benefits and i guess you could say oh why don't the freemen just move to a different planet but that brings in the whole guild which is another cool part of the novel is the whole the guild they control all the transportation Mm -hmm. right and i think it's you can't just easily hire the guild to bring you to a new planet it's super expensive and, and it's politically charged it's politi- like, like they're, yeah. they're tied with like the whole emperor, emperor and they're involved in the politics and whatever so oh they're captive there like yeah, the fremen so, are like this nuisance that kind of comes in handy when they need it and it's sort of annoying when they don't and they are tolerated by the powers that be that govern arrakis extraneously mm-hmm. and they just are they just live there but from their point of view it's the other way around so it makes me wonder kind of like if we were to keep going in the series and if that becomes a thing if the jihad has to do with this plan to use all that water that they have like the massive aquifers they have underneath the surface to terraform the planet to change it would would that affect i guess that's literally where i would go with that story right like the aqu- that would definitely change the ecosystem of Arrakis and the fact that like the spice is a byproduct of the worm's life cycle. Yeah. And they defend it and they need deep, deep, deep deserts of sand to move around. And if you start messing around with that and changing the geography, the geology of the planet, probably they would die, even though they're essentially indestructible, yeah. right? Like it takes like a, like a titanic amount of, of ordnance to destroy one of these things, right? I think you can also kill them with water, right? They're yeah, they, they, it's poison to them. Yeah. Yeah. But I think Paul did mention that if they ultimately do succeed in terraforming the planet, I think he was going to conserve a big portion of desert to be to remain desert yeah so they're not eco-terrorists no they're very much like peace and love hippies who want to like turn it into just a more comfortable planet for themselves yeah but also to like maintain a certain level of sustainability and Mm eco-friendliness so yeah i i understand why they'd want to do that because yeah living on arrakis is not easy Mm -hmm. but isn't that's not like a focus of the novel no. it just it, it stands in retrospect as something that i really like to think about and i love how realistic it depicted a world that i can i can go back in my mind and think about it as opposed to something that is more superficial and vain mm-hmm. right that is only there for action or for aesthetics or whatever like it 
so many novels and pieces of entertainment nowadays suffer from. Yeah, this book really goes deep into everything it brings up. There's like a huge amount of history and backstory. And yeah, like the author really created a pretty complex mm -hmm. world. I remember reading in the uh, the foreword or the afterword in the version that I have, the edition of the book that I have, by the author's son, uh -huh. who eventually became an author of the world of Dune as well. But the only thing I remember, because I'm pretty sure I skimmed that or I only read a few paragraphs, and it said that he kind of resented his dad in some way because he'd spent all those years, that decade in which he had been a child and he was growing up, his dad, the author, was spending all this time with Paul Atreides and, Aww. you know, like he was just in his study writing and thinking about the world of Dune and he was not being a dad, essentially. Aww. That's like the only thing I remember from that, so it's kind of like, a little, it's pretty Yeah, Ooh, awkward. <laughs> yeah. Another thing I really loved about this book was Lady Jessica. Oh, she's my favorite character. Yeah. She's so cool. She's so good. I love Lady Jessica. And that's a funny thing we talked about because there's some crazy names like Thufir and... Hawa. Yeah, there's these really obviously made-up names. And then there's Paul and Jessica. And yeah, really... that's, that's one of the first things I noticed. I was like, what <laughs> yeah. the fuck do you mean Paul and Jessica? And then you have, yeah, weird words like the... Yeah. Yeah, and strange names for other people. And then, anyways, yeah. But yeah. we both love Lady Jessica. Also, the uh, introduction of elements of Arab and Muslim culture. Yeah. That is kind of like, why? A lot of things are made up, but they're super obviously inspired, inspired from Arabic language. Yeah. So... It's kind of like, okay, well, like you could have chosen anything. You could have yeah. chosen the Filipino language to, like, add cool stuff and whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, I guess that's, a, you'd, you'd really have to, like, go deep into, like, what it was that, like, Brian Herbert was, no, shit. Frank. <laughs> Frank Herbert was, you know, like, thinking of at the time and, like, the mm -hmm. politics of, of the time. And mm -hmm. I guess maybe, like, the politics of today are kind of changing the way that we perceive that in a way. But, like, oh, I thought it was pretty cool in a way. Like, mm -hmm. I really thought... One of the like cutest moments in the novel was when the Freeman tell Paul that he gets to choose his name as a Freeman, mm -hmm. and he chooses the Muad'Dib. Yeah, he's like, he, I think he asks, "What do you call that little mouse yeah. in the desert?" <laughs> so what's, cute. What's that cute little thing over there? Yeah, yeah that one. I want to be that. Yes. <laughs> call me kitten. <laughs> yeah, it's really cute. Call me mousy. But yeah, I love Lady Jessica's character. Yeah, she was she's like, cool. And I love the whole the Bene Gesserit. They're so interesting and mysterious. That is like such a good it's such a well planned idea from the author and and in consequence, such a good idea the Bene Gesserit have mm -hmm. of seeding the worlds with their own spies, with their own secret, with their own whispers of what they are, without ever saying what they are. There's not like they're sending somebody like, hey, where's the band, I guess, or vote for us. Yeah. It's very secretive. Kind but of planting it's so... a seed. Exactly, of right? Of this whole religion or yeah. prophecy that they... Yeah, so by the time that Lady Jessica show, shows up, they're all like, holy fuck, this is what we've been telling our legends about, you know? Yeah. And same with Paul. When they see Paul, they link it to this whole religious, almost, prophecy that they've been yeah, hearing. Yeah, the Messiah, so, the Savior. Yeah. 
So, and that's, yeah, another part that I'm assuming will be fleshed out in later books. Like, what is the goal of the Bene Gesserit? Mm-hmm. Their goal is to create this Kwisatz Haderach thing, but ultimately, what is the yeah, purpose Yeah, is, is of that, that some kind of, like, evolutionary apex? Is that some kind of ultimate goal of creating the best? But what if, like, I mean, you're creating the most amazing brain in the world and that is another side of the novel that like there there are no computers so people are mm. computers so like the mentats yeah like Thufir Hawat like he's a human computer essentially exactly, exactly yeah. right so that's that's what they're used for yeah be like you're smart as fuck we're gonna keep you with us yeah so they create this essentially almighty character what if he's against you fuck what if, what if he, what is he gonna do because he's yeah like they breed women the Kwisatz Haderach is like the only male that they're ever gonna get because like he's the he's the one, right? Yeah. And he's gonna be. He can like see. He has access to like the male side of. Like all the positives. Yeah, like he can access the female memories and whatever. Also, the male ones of generational memories, or I can't remember how it's described in the book. But what was the name of the? He essentially he, no, no, he no, can the, the... do. They wanted a male because, yeah, he's able to access both the female and male. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Consciousness. Just like the, just like Lady Jessica can, Reverend Mother has that power, and once they mm-hmm. successfully create the Kwisatz Haderach, he will have both sides of that yeah. coin. But yeah, I, I, I'm not really sure what their ultimate goal is as the Bene Gesserit. Okay, yeah, I see, I see, I see what like. Yeah. I like that. I like how it's this kind of mysterious group. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if it'll be further explained in the yeah. coming books. And the, they're making a series. Yeah. That, it's, that it revolves around them. That's really cool. The first episode is going to be directed by Denis Villeneuve. Nice. Well, that's, be that's good. That's pretty sick. Hope it's good. Oh, I'm anyway. sure it will be. Yeah. But yeah, that's one of my favorite parts of the book as well, is her character. Because she's so powerful. and she has... She's smart. She's so mm-hmm. well-crafted. Like, she's not too powerful. And she messes up. And she's human, you can tell she is, but at the same time, she's a badass. Oh, yeah. You know, she like she really takes adversity and challenges head on, and she is smart. And like she's also fallible, mm-hmm. and she answers to what she sees and pull with fear and frustration sometimes. And yeah. But also like re- really, really smart and cunning. Very, she's probably like the most well-rounded character I can think of. Yeah, I like her much more than Paul. <laughs> I don't think like I don't think we have to take sides. But no, yeah. I'm just saying that like I, she's a cooler character than he is, even though he is like the main character, I guess you could say. I I love Lady Jessica. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I think that like that if we have to like yeah, start choosing like favorite no, characters. No, you don't have to. I'm just saying. That. No, but I I I just said that. Yeah. Respect what I say, woman. <laughs> Yeah, probably like the ones that stuck with me the most was her because you do spend a lot of time in her head, mm-hmm. and uh, Kynes for some reason it kind of stuck with me. That's cute because yeah, Kynes to me, I know that his character is a pretty like it's important character, but but he's not there very long. No, and I uh, like I don't remember much. Yeah. Like, he doesn't stick in my head as much as Lady Jessica does. I think that what makes me say that is that one of the most memorable parts in the book for me, one of the things that I remember the most, because it had a, it had a very vivid image in my head when it happened, was soon after 
they're saved by the Fremen early on in the novel when they're in the desert, and there's a fight mm-hmm. between I can't believe it. I can't remember if it was them and the Sardar car, but like they are in the rocks in kind of a cliff, and they see the ornithopters show up, and there's a fight in the distance, and it's the first example of like the Fremen out in the open and responding to kinds mm. and it was just like vivid imagery in my head that i remember like ended mm. up liking that cool. also the the character of stilgar i liked them a lot yeah and it was just because like i love like javier about them and like yeah. i just kept picturing him <laughs> me too as that character yeah and i love that part when they first meet him and he comes i think it's him i can't remember i think it's, it's either stilgar or kinds but like one of them comes in to their meeting with like with like Duke Leto and like all the soldiers and like oh it was definitely Stilgar yeah Stilgar yeah. yeah he comes in and spits on the table and they're all like what the fuck yeah. dude and they get all offended and they're like yeah. no 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 it's okay it's okay it's a sign of respect yeah yeah <laughs> you just spat on the table it's yeah. fucking animal what do you mean mm-hmm. <laughs> that was really cool yeah and another thing I like about the book is it the action sequences are very minimal like it, yeah. it references these big battles that are happening but it doesn't describe them much which i like because i find that sometimes i lose track of who's shooting at who and you know this person's up here and shooting down there and so i appreciated that about the book is you knew that these big bloody battles were happening but they were not the focus they were kind of happening in the background sometimes it was easy to lose sight of whoa, what just happened? Like, all of a sudden, you know, they invaded the emperor and the or the emperor came here and invaded us and whatever. So sometimes I kind of lost track of mm-hmm. who was fighting whom, but I liked that overall, yeah, is but, that it didn't focus on these battle sequences. Yeah, there's a lot happening in the background for sure. Yeah. And like I've said it before, and I'll, I'll, I'll probably say it again in this podcast about any time that we cover the subject, is that violence even though prolific, is very difficult to write. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's difficult to like do on screen without it being like a kung fu hazel, yeah. like hilarious sort of thing. But that being said, there were when Paul fights, he, there's like two mm. fights I remember of him against someone else. When he fights Jameis. Yeah, and then he fights the Fade Routh guy Routh, later. Yeah. I really liked those scenes. Yeah. They, they were, were very, very tense. They felt like, so they're, they're, tense. They're not about the violence itself but about what's going on in paul's head yeah and how this event is occurring yeah so much more than about like just cool fight no yeah really describe his thought process and his strategy when fighting this person i thought those were cool scenes yeah and on the note of violence i think that like the, the harkonnens were very much kind of like this horrible presence of evil in the world and they're all different representations of different types of violence and pain they'd Mm -hmm. like to inflict you know like the baron is just this smart cunning and like physically and sexually violent and he loves to manipulate and dominate people in horrible ways and his nephews raban and fate rautha like Raban is just this genocidal monster that doesn't mind inflicting brutal violence on people, and Fate Rautha is like a more refined, but very fucked up in the head sort of guy. Yeah, like a more like I mean like a more refined 
idea of violence, but still, like, he likes to torture people with, like, different types of poisons and experiment, like, with his poisons on them yeah. on the battlefield. But they're not really, like... Because he's been trained to be a good fighter, but, like, they numb people for him so that, yeah. like, they can't really, like, put up much of a fight. Mm-hmm. And the other one is Peter. Peter DeVries or Peter yeah. DeVries or whatever. And <laughs> that's, like... This kind of Machiavellical, rapey type of dweeb that, like, you know, he just keeps remembering or reminding the Baron that, like, he promised him Lady Jessica once they captured her. Like, you told me that I will get my day with Lady Jessica. Oh, and it's gross. just like, Ugh. nasty. You know? So, like, it can get a little cartoony in that way. It can get a little bit, like, too stereotypical, mustache twirling evil characters, mm-hmm. antagonists. But it keeps that within the realm of believability. I did. I found that I didn't have to suspend my disbelief to an uncomfortable extent. No, not at all. I thought it was well rounded and like I can can't fucking wait to like see it on on, oh, on the big screen. It's gonna be so epic. Mm-hmm. And yeah. to read the the sequels too. Like I gotta say, yeah. I wasn't expecting to want to read them because somebody told me like you can just read the first one and that's fine and it is like we, i oh, just yeah. finished that and it was but the story's not over right like the, it's just not over no and especially the whole yeah the, like like i mentioned before it feels like there's these central concepts to the story that aren't fleshed out fully mm-hmm. in the first book so mm-hmm. yeah i'm curious to keep reading and learn more about how that will play out the world and do yeah and get some some of my questions answered hopefully mm-hmm. yeah so yeah i would i would be down to keep reading the series at least the second and third books yeah those are i think generally thought to be the best ones and then it kind of drops in quality i don't know we'll have to find out for ourselves yeah we'll just have to uh go through those pages ourselves yes sir but yeah just overall it's i'm constantly amazed at how someone could come up with this story and with all of these very deeply thought out elements to this story and all this history like if you want to read there's really fleshed out like appendices at the end of the book that explain further on the bene Gesserit history and ecology of the planet and the history of like the empire and there's all these it's just amazing to think that someone came up with this Mm -hmm. that's what like that's one of the aspects of science fiction that i love and that's why i keep pushing for us to like read more science fiction Mm -hmm. because it's it's pure creativity when it's well done it's insanely creative Mm. it's so engrossing and it can be a little hokey that's kind of like the other side of it it can be difficult to balance that because it's either believable and awesome or it gets ridiculous. Yeah. Right? But I love it and I, I give as many science fiction novels the chance. And sometimes they fail me, but when they don't, man, they stick in my head forever because you can do so much. Like this book, they called it unadaptable to the screen. Mm-hmm. Probably because the first movie they tried to make was hilarious to look at. <laughs> but again, that suffered from being in its time. Yeah. You know, it's just not a thing that you could have done back then. No. Well, I guess it came out after Star Wars. Okay. And Star Wars, you could argue it's similar in scope, 
lots of planets, different species, good traveling, versus like, evil, big like, distance. But yeah, yeah, you need to like you know be able to put that on the screen and it not look ridiculous. And a lot of people will say, well, Star Wars looks ridiculous. Well, I mean that's subjective, but. Uh, I'm curious to see how they'll translate the whole riding sandworms thing to the big screen. I can see that looking pretty cheesy. But I, I trust Denis Villeneuve to do it well. Yeah. Well, he really wanted to do this movie, and I, I'm i not uneasy about it. I'm really looking forward to it. I really, mm -hmm. I'm not afraid for it. Like no. other movies have come out in the past, and I'm like, this is going to suck, but I'm going to watch it anyway. No, Look. this, like, you can pretty much tell it's going to be incredible. Yeah. Like, there's no question. Like, it has this <laughs> incredible director that we're obsessed with. Yeah. And the trailers are amazing. So, yeah. I guess, you you know, just because there's a good trailer doesn't mean the movie is going to be good. But I'm highly confident we're going to love it. Yeah, I'm not I'm not worried about it. Not at I all. I think it's going to be great. And I can't wait to see it on the big screen. Yeah. So, you would rate it what? Out of what? Out of 17. <laughs> like honestly i no i if i'd give it five out of five stars yeah personally yeah i yeah. think that there's very little to dislike about this if you like science fiction and even if you don't if you're willing to give something of a grandiose scale a chance mm -hmm. and it hits so many notes it's satisfactory in so many ways it has great characters a great story a mystery and a bunch of smaller mysteries underneath that, it's long, so it'll keep you entertained for a long time. Yeah. And it's just it's so cool to immerse yourself in this world that is so unique and so, like I said earlier, it's just pure creativity. Someone came up with this, and it's just, yeah, very far-reaching, all of the ideas. Like, you can go and look on the Wikipedia the dune wiki and it you know every single concept there's this huge explanation and history and whatever so you can go as deep as you want to that's it folks you heard it here first at the apartment library dune is pure creativity <laughs> actually considering that this book has been out for so fucking long somebody must have said that before but whatever you heard it here first <laughs> at the apartment library thank you so much for joining us we'd love to hear what you have to say about Dune or about anything else, if you have suggestions for us, books we should review, or if you just want to tell us that you love us for some reason, send us an email to apartmentlibrarypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Ta -da -da, ta -da -da, ta -da. Ta -da.